Hello and welcome to the Law of the Cards podcast, episode 5, Reliquary of Souls. The podcast that uses Hearthstone as a vehicle to unpack the dense and sometimes complex lore of the Warcraft universe. This will be a bit of a shorter one today, but was requested. If you don't ask, you don't get. In our last episode, The Lurker Below, I told you about Illidan establishing a foothold upon the broken world of Outland, which was once known as Draenor, homeworld of the Orcs. Illidan claimed the foreboding Black Temple as his main base of operations. The temple hadn't always been a looming monolith of black stones. It was once the Temple of Karabor, one of the most holy sites to the Draenei that lived on Draenor. However, this all changed when the insidious Burning Legion manipulated the Orcs for their own benefit, turning the Orcs into a vehicle of destruction and directing their wrath toward the Draenei. The Orcs fell upon Karabor, and while the Draenei were able to hold the Orcs off for some time, Karabor eventually could hold no longer. The Warlock Gul'dan flooded the Temple in Void energies, siphoning them off from a celestial entity called the Dark Star. Some Draenei died instantly, others slowly, and some escaped. But the Temple would forever be warped, and known as the Black Temple from then on. From the Black Temple, Illidan became known as the Lord of Outland, controlling much of the world's limited resources in his efforts to combat the Burning Legion. However, the Horde and Alliance assumed Illidan's actions were not for the greater good of defeating the Legion, but the actions of a ruthless dictator, driven mad by his defeat at the hands of Arthas Menethil during Illidan's second failed attempt to defeat the Lich King. After a lengthy campaign, the Horde and Alliance ended up on Illidan's doorstep, ready to raid the Black Temple. The front gate was far too well fortified for the Alliance and Horde to breach. So, while much of the faction's armies fought Illidan's servants outside the gates, a handful of adventurers snuck into the temple through a fissure in the wall. This led them to the sewers of the Black Temple, which were heavily populated by the Coilscar Naga, who eagerly served Illidan. These sewers had once been used by Lady Varsh and her forces to gain access to the Black Temple to help Illidan overthrow the temple's previous ruler, the Pitlord Magtheridan. Now, ironically, they were being used for the same purpose against the Demon Hunter. The heroes fought their way through the Naga warriors, spellcasters, hydra, and water elementals until they met the leader of the Coil Scar in combat, High Warlord Nagentus. Previously a champion of Lady Vash, Nagentus has succeeded her as leader when Vash was defeated in the Coil Fang Reservoir. Nagentus was enormous in comparison to others of his race, and few matched his pure strength. The High Warlord had been placed in the sewers to protect against any would-be adventurers who dared try to infiltrate the Black Temple through the sewers. Nagentus was able to hurl spines at his attackers, pinning them to the ground and forcing their allies to free them before continuing the fight, or risk the pinned dying from their wounds. Nagentus could also surround himself in a tidal shield, which made him immune to attacks and healed him while he was encased. However, Nagentus's most powerful attack could also be used against him. 
The heroes use the warlord's own spines against him, bursting the tidal shields and eventually overwhelming the naga. After fighting their way through the sewers, the heroes made their way to the Black Temple's courtyard, the Illidari training grounds, which were packed with fell orcs. These red-skinned brutes have been created to bolster Illidan's forces in Outland. After his defeat, Magtheridun was chained and his blood fed to the orcs to change them into what they had now become. The heroes needed to battle through foot soldiers and fell orcs of the Dragonmoor clan upon the back of Netherdrakes. The Dragonmoor had always been a clan known for their mastery of flying mounts. First Rhylax, then Red Dragons, and now Netherdrakes. After fighting their way through the orcs, one final hurdle lay before the adventurers before they could enter the temple, the Abyssal Supremus. Like other Abyssals, Supremus was a construct of stone and magical energy. It was towering. The heroes weren't even as tall as one of the Abyssal's toes. Supremus's fists came pounding down as streams of flame sought to seek out and burn the heroes to death. The construct also caused volcanic geysers to erupt beneath the feet of the heroes, but the adventurers were able to destroy Supremus its magical energy dissipating and the boulders that made up its form tumbling to the ground. After some hard-fought battles, the heroes were able to finally gain access to the interior of the Black Temple, walking into a sprawling room called the Sanctuary of Shadows. This room was filled with Illidan's forces, various demons who served the Demon Hunter and many broken Draenei of the Ashtung Deathsworn tribe. From here, the heroes could venture off to one of four wings, the Refectory, Gorfine's Vigil, Halls of Anguish, and the Shrine of Lost Souls. The Refectory was a chamber where many Ashtung Deathsworn resided and was the prison of the Shade of Akama. Akama was one of the allies Illidan had gathered in Outland and leader of the Ashtung Deathsworn. However, the Broken thought Illidan's actions were evil rather than for the greater good. Akama wanted to betray Illidan. However, while his shade was imprisoned by Illidan, Akama had no choice. He was bound to the Demon Hunter's service. The shade was the dark portion of Akama's soul. It was his lust, his greed and vanity, among other things. With assistance from Akama, the heroes defeated the Shade, releasing the Ashtung's leader from Illidan's service, who in turn instructed the rest of his tribe. They now no longer served the Demon Hunter, also known as the Betrayer. Gorfine's Vigil was a wing of the temple where the Death Knight Terran Gorfiend resided, along with fell orcs of the Shadowmoon clan. The clan to which Gorfiend, then Terran Gore, had been a respected shaman in the past. That was until Gul'dan showed him the power of fell magic, and any compassion and nobility in Gorfiend's heart melted away. He was once a part of Gul'dan's Shadow Council and was brought back from the dead as a Death Knight just before what was known as the Second War, fought between the Horde and the Alliance of Lordaeron. Gorfine's tale is very much its own episode, but his journey eventually leads him to the Black Temple, 
It's unknown whether Gorfin joined Illidan or why he would do that. However, the betrayer at very least tolerated the Death Knight, otherwise he would have chased him out from his fortress. Gorfin's mastery over shadow magic allowed him to instantly kill adventurers and then raise them as vengeful spirits to attack their allies. He also summoned Doom Blossoms, which spat out shadow energy at Gorfiend's attackers. Gorfiend was defeated, but he had already died three times before. This was simply another spin of the Wheel of Death for the Death Knight, though he is yet to return from this defeat. The Halls of Anguishwing housed the Felorks of the Bonechewer clan. Before becoming Felorks, this clan was named after their willingness to resort to cannibalism if needed in times of hardship. They would adorn themselves in the broken bones and body parts of their enemies. At this time, Tagar Spinebreaker was the clan's chieftain, though he was very likely dead before heroes raided the Black Temple. Tagar wandered the lands of Hellfire Peninsula, the region where the Horde and Alliance's campaigns first began. In the temple, most of the Bone Chewers preferred physical violence. Of the seven soldier varieties found in the Halls of Anguish, only the Blood Prophets were capable of spellcasting. Some Bone Chewers even fought each other to pass the time before true battle could be joined. After several physical and brutal encounters with the Orcs, the raid party came face to face with the beast that waited for them at the end of the Halls of Anguish, the fell Dire Orc, Gertog Bloodboil. Dire Orcs have been mutated via magical means or blood rituals, increasing an Orc's already impressive physical strength, but warping their form to such an extent the Orc becomes extremely top-heavy, and their face seemingly twisted into an expression of constant rage. Presumably, after Tagar's death, Gertog became his clan's chieftain, though that is speculation. Gertog hit the heroes extremely hard, but he was not just a muscle-bound brute. His body coursed with fell energies. He was able to boil the blood within the heroes' bodies, create geysers of fell energy, and spew acid from his mouth. Through sheer determination, the heroes were able to slay the Dire Orc. The Shrine of Lost Souls was the final wing the adventurers needed to clear, before they could progress even deeper into the Black Temple. This is perhaps the most interesting of the four wings found within the Black Temple from a lore standpoint. It was not just a wing filled with ghosts and wandering souls. The Shrine of Lost Souls played host to a source of great arcane energy. Illidan used this magical source to feed the demons of his army, keeping them loyal and freeing them of their addiction to fell magic. After Illidan's defeat, the warlock Camrathad Ebonlock compared the power source found within the Shrine of Lost Souls to the Well of Eternity, a swirling pool of arcane energies that used to be found at the very centre of the world until the Sundering, a great calamity which split the single landmass of Azeroth into several. Ebonlock theorised further that Illidan's original intent was to gift this power source to the Blood Elves who had joined him. This would free them of their addiction to the Sunwell, 
like the Well of Eternity, the Sunwell was also a font of great magical energies, which the elves had fed off of. When it was destroyed by the undead Scourge, the elves were cut off. They found they had become addicted to magic and needed it to prevent them from going mad. Illidan promised the Blood Elves' leader, Kael'thas Sunstrider, that he would look to curb their magical addiction in exchange for the Blood Elves' loyalty. It seems that the power source found within the shrine could very well have ended the Elves' reliance on the Sunwell. However, Illidan never gave it to them. Quite why is not entirely known though it is theorised. Kael'thas eventually betrayed Illidan and joined with the Burning Legion. Either Illidan suspected this, so did not provide the power to the elves, or the betrayal could have already happened by the time Illidan had discovered this. There is yet another theory for what Illidan was using this power source for. It is possible Illidan was gathering souls to power spellwork to open up a portal to the planet Argus, the Burning Legion's main base of operations. However, heroes would raid the Black Temple before Illidan had enough power to do this. Instead, he opened a portal to Mardum, which was once a prison for demons. He sent several demon hunters through this to find the Sargorite Keystone. This would allow travel to any world without the need for intense spell work. Illidan was defeated on Outland before he would have a chance to use it though. At the time of raiding the Black Temple, the heroes had no idea how truly powerful and instrumental this wing of the temple was. They needed to quickly fight their way through the wing, as it was not long before defeated spirits were replaced with others. They eventually came to a large round room, where the spirits no longer manifested with what seemed like a giant cage at the other end. As the heroes approached the cage, the reliquary of souls sprang from within. This monster's purpose within the Shrine of the Lost Souls is not entirely known, though it is thought that it is perhaps the soul vacuum which attracted the spirits to the wing. The reliquary had three faces, each of which taking over the entity over three phases in its fight against the raid party. The first face was the essence of suffering. The aura emitted by this essence meant the raid party were unable to heal, so needed to defeat the essence quickly before any of them fell. The essence sometimes entered into a frenzy, battering foes, and was capable of draining life and magical energy from its adversaries. Once wounded, the essence returned to its cage. The cage violently rocked back and forth, as if a struggle took place within. The heroes had no time for a breather, as a legion of spirits were drawn to their location and attacked. No sooner had these spirits been defeated, the second essence of the reliquary burst forth, the essence of desire. She also emitted an aura, which caused any damage done to her to also be felt by her attackers. A second effect would also decrease her attacker's maximum mana reserves. There was, however, one beneficial effect to the essence's aura healing spells were doubly effective. Desire's deaden ability allowed her to deal double damage to her victim. She could blast the attackers with shadow damage using her spirit shock ability and defend herself using her rune shield, absorbing large quantities of damage, doubled her attack and casting speed and made her immune to having her spells interrupted. Upon her defeat, the same happened again. The reliquary returned to its cage and the spirits came. 
It was now time for the reliquary's final essence, the essence of anger. Its aura dealt damage over time and increased damage dealt, both increasing further over time. Anger was capable of letting out a soul scream, damaging all enemies in front of it and burning away a portion of their mana. Its spite ability made Anger's target immune for 6 seconds, but after that, dealt a huge amount of damage. It also made heroes seethe, increasing their damage, but this made Anger far more likely to attack them. His physical strength made it easy to obliterate any cloth, leather or mail-armoured attackers. With Anger's defeat, the Reliquary of Souls shattered and was no more. The Reliquary of Souls is a rare creature within the Warcraft universe. It has been named by the community as a Devourer of Souls, however no official name has been given. This name was derived from sound files for the creature. Since the creatures aren't even officially named, there isn't much lore behind them, though there have been three of note, including the Reliquary of Souls. The second appearance of one of these creatures was during the Wrath of the Lich King expansion. A Devourer of Souls, called the Devourer of Souls, fighting on the side of the Scourge. It is located in a wing of the Lich King's fortress, Ice Crown Citadel, called the Forge of Souls. This forge housed the Soul Grinders of the Scourge. These twisted engines would change the souls of the Scourge's defeated enemies into a power source. It is speculated this power was then used to bring life to the Scourge's monstrous constructs, such as the Flesh Giants. The Devourer was the chief operator of the Soul Grinders, ensuring no souls escaped their miserable ends within the Scourge's twisted machinery. The Devourer would consume any spirit that strayed and break them down itself. Unlike the Reliquary, the Devourer gives off a red, rather than a blue glow. The other of these creatures is the Essence of Order, also located within the Black Temple, but discovered when heroes sailed to the lands of Pandaria. It is discovered by player warlocks pursuing Jubek and Kamrathad into the Black Temple. The empowered soul core looted from the Essence is brimming with arcane magic, either the source or saturated by the energies of the Forge of Souls. Well, I ended up yammering about that for a lot longer than I thought. Before I kick off the beastery section, there's the usual yammering. Tell your friends about this podcast, please. It'll really help out. Also, rate it on iTunes, follow on Spotify, and do all the YouTube things on YouTube. I have also recently started a new venture on YouTube called Kuma Promotions. There I do vocal covers of local and signed metal acts. So I'd really appreciate you checking out that and subscribing too. I hope one day to use it as a platform to boost unsigned bands. My main focuses will be that and this podcast, as I much prefer creating this kind of content. For no other reason than I feel like it, we'll be covering serpents today, also known as cobras for how similar they look to real-world cobras. In Hearthstone, the serpent can be seen depicted on the Emperor Cobra card. These large snakes stand as tall as humanoids, the hooded section of their bodies always standing upright. They are renowned for their fast-acting venom and their lightning speed at which they strike. They can also focus their venom into a corrosive spit, which burns through and weakens an adversary's armour. 
They are also strong swimmers, despite having no arms or a paddle-like tail as sea snakes would have. They can be found in several regions of Azeroth, the humid Wailing Caverns, the jungle environment of Zul'Garub, Silverpine Forest, Zul'Farak located in the Tanaris Desert, Sholzar Basin and the waterlogged Sunken Temple. There are few named serpents, but by far the most important lore-wise is Ceratus, the serpent lower of the Drakari Trolls. Loa are worshipped by the troll tribes of Azeroth. Unfortunately for Ceratus, with the threat of the Lich King looming, his followers turned on him. His physical manifestation was slain. Ceratus's high prophet Sladron sacrificed Loa with a heavy heart. He did this to let the Drakari drink of Ceratus's blood, empowering them. Sladran and others of Ceratus's prophets were affected the most, turning them into serpent humanoids. This was so that they could do their best to defend against the Lich King's forces. Well, that's everything for today, so I guess until next time, bye bye.